and wonderful worship uh, both times this morning. And uh, let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. So I was preparing to do a funeral in one of the churches that I served earlier in my ministry. You'll know how early in my ministry in a moment. The funeral was to take place in a funeral home in town. I didn't know the family very well, had only come in contact with them because of this death, and they had uh, asked if I would do the funeral. The plan was for uh, me to go out and sit, and then for the funeral director to put an 8-track in. That tells you how long ago that was. Instead of there being a soloist, because there was no solo or live music. And so we began the plan. I walked out. All eyes from this family were on me. I sat down behind the lectern and with the casket off to the side. And I could see the funeral director, and he right on cue, put the tape in, and I heard, because it was supposed to be How Great Thou Art, we heard, oh. I looked over at the funeral director, and I saw him fiddling with the tape. Now, if you know eight tracks, they're one long track. So he's fiddling with the tape, all the family's looking at me, and I'm just trying to decide what to do. Well, he gets it and he puts it back in. And we hear, oh. The family looks at me. I look at the funeral director. And he does this. (laughs) And so I knew it was on me. I stood up, went to the lectern, and said, I guess our soloist needed some more rehearsal. As soon as I said that, in fact, I don't even think it was out of my mouth, I regretted it, I thought to myself, I've just started a funeral with a joke. Now, there was so much tension in the room from the failed 8-track that they actually laughed, and I was able to go on and get through the funeral, but I will say that I've never started a funeral with a joke ever again and never will. At least that's my plan, because, you know, as as a pastor, the idea is not to break up funerals, you know? And one of my goals in ministry is never to show up on America's Funniest Home Videos as, because of something I did in a wedding or a funeral or in, in any other ministry capacity. We don't want to break up funerals. And yet, every time Jesus went to a funeral, He broke it up. Every time when people were expecting, they thought they knew what was going to happen, when Jesus arrived, everything changed. And that's what we're going to see today in 
this passage in John 11. Now, I use John 11 in virtually every funeral that I do. And much of this is familiar to many of you, certainly if you've been around church or funerals, you're going to recognize a good bit of this. So I'm going to ask you to do this, and it's almost impossible. I'm asking you to do the impossible. And that is, try to listen. We've got a long passage ahead of us, and I'm not going to read it all, but I'll be reading portions and explaining other portions. Try to listen to it today as if you didn't know why we had gathered today to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Because that's where these people are. It's before the resurrection of Jesus. And so we kind of know what's coming and we will have different expectations, but to get the full impact of this passage, the shock of it, the comfort of it, I want you to try to listen to it as an account as if you didn't know about the resurrection. Now let me give you some of the backstory by way of uh, context here. Uh, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, was ill. Now he was a good friend of Jesus. He, Jesus was a good friend of that family. And so they informed Jesus that he was, he was really ill. Two days later, Jesus said, okay, let's go to Judea. And so they did. Jesus made this statement, uh, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then he went on and said, our, our friend Lazarus, this is verse 11, has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. So they, they took it that way that, okay, well, he's not talking about death or anything, but he was talking about death. They thought he was just talking about taking some rest. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now let's pick up with our text, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and Many of the Jews had come to Mary, Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us in these few moments in this text to grasp the truth of your word about the power of the resurrection. Lord, will you help us to focus? Will you enable your spirit to speak to our very hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we talk about context of a, a passage, we're talking about that which comes before and that which comes after. So I want to tell you a little bit about what's going to come next after he had made this great statement. We've been going through for the last number of weeks his I am statements, and this is the last one that we are, are looking at. We see Martha saying in response to that question, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And then in verse 34, Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then it says, Jesus wept. He was overcome in those moments even knowing what was about to take place. And then verse 36, the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man uh, also have kept this man from dying? Now, here's the thing, and this is if you've put yourself in that framework of mind that, that I encourage you to do, they weren't expecting a resurrection. You know, even this one was saying, well, he, he could have stopped it. But they weren't expecting it because they had never heard of resurrections, really. There had been instances in the past. But it was not something that they were looking for. Just like for us, we wouldn't have expected it if it hadn't been for Easter. Verse 38 then, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the, the stone. Now, here is Martha, who's always that, you know, that one that's going to say something. She says, Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, it's hot here. You delayed... Do you know what it's going to smell like if we open that? I still, I'm, this is the one place I'm still partial to the old King James where it says, uh, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> she tries to stop it. Jesus in verse 40 says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around. See, he's, he's talking to the Father. He didn't have to say any of this. He's saying it out loud as a testimony of what's going to take place and who he is, that they may believe that you sent me. See, he didn't just do miracles just for the fun of it or for the convenience of some. He did it that they might know who he was. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Now, I'm not going to shout this out, but, but picture a, a, a booming, commanding, projecting voice that says, Lazarus, come out. And then it says, verse 44, the man who had died came out. That's what happens when Jesus commands. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. I am the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then he showed him. Remember, he, he said that, he made that statement before he had raised Lazarus. So it didn't make as much sense. I, I restated it here at the end. So it might have seemed strange to them when he said that there in a, a cemetery. Jesus moved resurrection from some kind of a, a doctrine to a person. From an action to being embodied by Him. From something in the future that would take place at the resurrection, that far off time that most people thought of, to something that impacted the people there and then. And that's what He wanted them to see. Now, Look at the change that he is uh, saying. Back, verse 25 again, after he'd said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then it almost seems like he's saying just the opposite. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Here's what he's saying. You will die physically, but it's going to be different. It's going to be different than what we have thought of as death before. Now, that's essential that we understand how, how Jesus is talking there because there are those uh, in our day and there have always been those who have said this. Look, you become a Christian. You believe the Gospel. You believe in Jesus. And if, if you do that, all your troubles are over. Because Jesus doesn't want you poor. He doesn't want you suffering. He doesn't want you sick. So Jesus ramps it up here and says, look, you still live in a fallen world and you need to know this. The worst thing that the fallen world can throw at you, you're still going to experience. 
and that happens to be death. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, there is, however, a benefit of believing in me. Because I've changed death. And it is better than you can imagine. And that's where he goes on, you will live and never die. He's talking for eternity. You experience the moment of death here in this life. But unlike this world will tell you, and sometimes even try to comfort you by, that's not the end. You will live forever. You who were headed toward eternity in hell, if you believe, are now headed to eternity with God. From eternal punishment to eternal enjoyment. And he said that's how it changes. Now there are various ways to deal with the problem of hell. And the reason I say the problem of hell because people don't like to talk about hell. I don't get any joy in talking about it. And so people have tried to figure out ways to deal with that. And one of the ways is to try to deny it. There was a best-selling book recently called Love Wins. Best-selling because I think it's the kind of thing people like to hear where this pastor basically denied that there is a hell. And so, because of that, love wins. Sounds good. It would be great if that were true. But denial of hell is not good or helpful or loving if hell exists. And the Word of God is clear on that. And sadly, there are people on their way there that are taking comfort in a bestseller, taking comfort in the denial, taking comfort for this short life and thinking it does not exist. The more loving thing to do, because hell exists, is to acknowledge that and understand that it was what happened on the cross where love wins. It was what happened when Jesus walked out of the tomb, when He had been dead and was alive again. That's when love wins. And that's what we celebrate. Now, this passage, like all of the I am statements that were so radical, but this passage demands a response. Jesus did there. He didn't just grant comfort and raise Lazarus from the dead. He didn't just say, oh, they're there, it'll be okay. You'll get through this. He said, I am the resurrection 
believe? And then he said, do you believe? And you know what? People believed. And so do you. I mean, I suspect everyone in this room believes. But as we see from this passage, there are different kinds of belief. Let me show you some of the kinds of belief we see here. Some believed with a limited faith. Martha is an example here. We see verse 24, Martha says, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection that last day. She seemed to know that what he was saying was true, but she limited what he could do to someday, somewhere, there'll be a resurrection. I, I get it. But she's basically saying, what good's that do me now? And may, maybe you kind of feel that way. You know, yeah, I, I, I know the Christian thing is going to help me somewhere in the future, but I don't, I don't see it impacting me now. That's a limiting kind of faith. Yes, Lord, she said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You know, here's the thing. The very fact that she believed in the resurrection in the future... What would have to happen for that to be true? A resurrection in the future. Well, here's what would have to happen. God would have to recompose all of the bodies and then reunite the soul to those recomposed bodies. That's exactly what He had to do here. Remember, Lazarus, they said, was decomposing already so they Jesus had to recompose him and then you reunite his soul with that body and by the way my one of my little theories is that it's possible that's one of the reasons Jesus wept not only did he feel that pain of separation but he knew he was about to bring Lazarus from glory back into a fallen world, only to get ill again someday and to die again. Perhaps that caused part of his grief. So some people limit the faith to the future, and some limit his power. Uh, we see again, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, there they're limiting his power, saying, well, you know, maybe if you'd been here, you could have done something. And we, we know, because we've got all of Scripture revealed to us, that he didn't have to be present. But she was limiting that, beginning to learn her faith, but not quite grasping it. And then there's another group we see here. That believe also, but they believe without trusting. It's a different kind of belief. Verse 53, it talks about them plotting to kill him. So from that day on, <coughs> they made plans to put him to death. Now, these people believe the facts about Jesus. They had what we sometimes call intellectual assent. They had it all up here. 
think about what, what they knew and what they, they believed. They believed that Jesus had great power to raise from the dead. They had just seen it, these who were plotting to kill him. They knew he had that great power. They knew he was a historical figure. They knew that he claimed to be God. They understood these facts about Jesus. And maybe that's where you are. You know, maybe you've had enough church background or you've heard enough about things where you say, you know what, I I know the story, I get it. I've heard all that. I could tell it to you as good as you can tell it to me. And you've got all the intellectual facts. The problem is that's not enough. Elsewhere in the Scripture, it basically says, you know what, the demons know all that too. And we know there's not going to be demons in heaven. They know all the things that I just said to you. Obviously, that's not faith that brings eternal life. So what is it? Well, it says, some trusted, verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. You see, they did what Jesus said in verse 25, he who believes in me. And they answered the question, Do you believe this by saying, yes, we believe, we trust in you for our eternal life. You are the resurrection. You're my resurrection and my life. I just passed uh, a seventh anniversary of having a heart attack while jogging. Now, I have it marked on my calendar, and every year I rejoice when I pass another anniversary. It was just last week. But I also think back to the events of that day, which I can remember as if they happened this morning. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. The story is on our website, though, if you would uh, like to hear some of the things God taught me through it. But I want to give you a little bit of my angle, what was going on that day. Basically, what happened is I'd run a few miles and uh, a piece of plaque broke loose, turned into a blood clot, giving me a 100% blockage in one of my arteries. And if nothing had been done... I would have died. Now, the moment of our life and death is in God's hands. There's no question about that. But let me tell you from a human perspective what went on that day. And you need to know that, you know, I kind of like to, if at all possible, be in charge of a situation. Well, that day, still in the park, sitting in my car, when the EMT and the firemen got there, they said, uh, here, take this aspirin and take this nitroglycerin. I took the aspirin, I took the nitroglycerin. They said, we're going to start an IV 
in you. You know, go ahead, have at it. You know, that's, that's, that was kind of my feeling at that point. All right, we're going to take you to Fayette County Hospital, which uh, they loaded me into the ambulance on the way there. The guy said, sir, you're having a heart attack. It was surreal. They got me into the emergency room. The doctor, after examining me and, and checking things out, he said, we can't get it stopped. We're going to life flight you up to Atlanta. I was in South Atlanta at the time, up to Piedmont Hospital downtown. Go for it, was my feeling at that, that point. Let's go. We land on the roof of the hospital. They take me immediately into an operating room. And they say, we're going to stick this into your femoral artery. And, I mean, they didn't really do it this way, but, you know. <laughs> but they might as well, you know. We're going to send it up to your heart and see what we see. They did it. They took the blood clot out. They put in a stent and then said, okay, we're going to uh, put you in the cardiac care unit. And uh, I had been there many times to visit people, but I was on the other end at that point. Now, that's a, a little bit of what I saw and what I felt. From a human perspective, my life was completely in their hands. I was helpless to stop the heart attack. I was helpless to save my own life. And they had everything necessary to do both. My only response was to trust them with my life. That's really where we are spiritually. Where we need to be spiritually. If you think you can work your way out of a Christless eternity by doing good or just doing better, then you are as deluded as I would have been if I had said, no, no, leave me alone. I, I can take care of this little mess I'm in. How foolish would that have been for me? It would have cost me my life. But we're talking eternity. Jesus still asks the question, do you believe this? And there really is only one answer. I believe and I trust in you, Jesus Christ, alone for my eternal life. May God give us faith to be able to answer him in that way. Let's bow together. Lord, if even in this moment we, we pray that prayer to you, Help us not to think that it's because of our wisdom or our good choices we make. 
but because it's a, a gift of faith that you've given to us. Lord, will you, for each of us, strengthen our faith? If, if we find ourselves with a partial faith that doesn't seem to apply to our lives, but we really are trusting Christ, will you enable us to have faith to know the power of the resurrection affects our life, not sometime in the future, but today? And Lord, will you open us up to you Will you give us relationship with you through Jesus? We pray in his precious name. Amen.